Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Today is Palm Sunday, and you probably know how it got the name Palm Sunday uh, as Jesus entered Jerusalem in the week leading up to his crucifixion. He was greeted with a variety of things, including people waving palm branches. And I want to read to you Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses, as we recount this episode of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And as we do that, we'll get into our message today, Faithful in Pursuit. Mark chapter 11, the second Matthew, Mark, second gospel in the New Testament. Uh, it, it reads this way, as they approached Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethphage or Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went, they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches or palms that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. In other words, praise be to God. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I actually have a couple of pictures here from Israel. Uh, this is, uh, ignore the guy in the front. But that behind you is looking down into what would have been Bethany at the time. I really always enjoy anything that kind of refers to Bethany uh, in the New Testament. And if you if you if you've ever been to Israel or I'll try to visualize it for you from where uh, Becky's standing and taking the picture, her back is toward the Mount of Olives. So we're over the we're kind of over the crest of the Mount of Olives. And if you were to kind of keep walking backwards, you get over the Mount of Olives, you'd come down the hill, you'd go through the Garden of Gethsemane and then you'd go through the Kidron Valley and you'd come up into Jerusalem, into the Temple Mount. So that's all behind you facing. So that's what I'm looking toward. And 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 so that hill from that town is really quite steep as Jesus enters. I've got a picture of the church. This is the church of Bethphage, um, or the church of the of the triumphal entry. Not that impressive to look at on the outside, but some beautiful detail inside and very uh, interesting history. This is a mural that's painted there. You see Jesus coming in on the donkey. You see the, the robes on the ground and the palm branches. And um, and then there's a sculpture outside in the yard that kind of recaptures this whole Palm Sunday episode. And, of course, some of us just like to insert ourselves into history. And so there we are. I'm one of the I'm one of the people. I don't have a branch in my hand. Some of you might find that irreverent, but um, I assure you, it's just a, it's just a sculpture. It's OK. Uh, but I, I, I share that with you because 
you know, as we celebrate this week, we're reminded that Jesus suffered incredibly for us, for the purpose of taking our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. And in that sense of pursuit of what God had called him to is captured later by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Philippians. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter three, and this is where we'll camp out this morning. Philippians chapter three, if you've got a Bible with you, we're into the letters of Paul, uh, Corinthians, uh, Romans, Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians. Colossians. So we're in Philippians chapter three and Paul's writing to these Philippians, kind of reminding them to stand strong in the faith, sharing his own testimony, uh, calling them into a in, into a kind of a fearless pursuit of God. And in chapter three, Paul's account recounting his own story, his own faith journey. And I'm going to pick it up for you at verse 10. So we're at Philippians chapter three, verse 10. And Paul writes this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank the Lord for his word this morning. So here we have, you know, Paul writing. You know, you're thinking about Jesus entering Jerusalem, right? He's he, he's entering with this resolve to complete the task that had been assigned to him by the Father, uh, knowing full well it was going to be, you know, the most brutal, bloody, humiliating, excruciating execution possible in in. You know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, on, on Sunday they're saying Hosanna, on Friday they're saying crucify, crucify. Really, not necessarily the same people. This is, this is Passover week. People are coming from all over the country. In fact, all over the known world to celebrate in Jerusalem the Passover event. And so you've got crowds of, uh, of pilgrims and, and folks who have, maybe they've been up in Galilee and they, they saw Jesus feed the 5,000 up there, or maybe they saw Jesus perform a miracle, maybe somewhere at the raising of the, of the dead, you know, Lazarus from the dead, just over in Bethany. And, and so they know about this and this anticipation, like the Messiah is, is, is here. And then later he's being crucified. And so here we have Jesus determined to know. And by saying, when I say no, like to be intimately acquainted with the suffering that it would take to deliver us from our sin. So Jesus knew his father, and for that reason, he trusted the Father. And, um, and he was obedient to the Father, even to death on a cross. And Paul deals with that a chapter earlier in, in Philippians 2, recounting just the way Jesus humbled himself, even to death on a cross. And so that's, that's why, in the same way Paul is saying in, in verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attaining, to somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ, Paul says. So let's make this personal. What do you want to know? 
right? What do I want to know? What do we want to know? And for what purpose? Because Paul has a purpose. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And for these reasons, three things that he says, one for the power of his resurrection. So in the power of the resurrection, there's new life. There's healing power. There's boldness. There's purpose for mission. Paul saying, uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, right? To, to, to accept that following Jesus might really cost a high cost. And three, to, to be like him in his death. That sense of Jesus was humble all the way through to the very end, right? Humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating way. Jesus humbled himself and Paul saying, that's what I want to be. I want to know that. I want to be intimately acquainted with that. All for the benefit then of experiencing the resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns. Jesus will appear and the dead in Christ will be raised to meet him. And so as we enter this Passion Week, you know, as we're, we're reminded again of the suffering of Jesus for our sake. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and for me, for us. And so he enters Jerusalem as a hero. By the end of the week, his tortured body is hanging lifelessly on the cross, laid in a tomb, sealed behind a tombstone. And so I would say every year at this season, this kind of peak of the Christian year, we're, we're challenged afresh in this way to, to ask the same question, like, what am I seeking? Right? What do I want to know? Paul says, I want to know Christ. So here's a question. If you're taking notes today, you could write this down. What do I want to know? What do I want to know? Okay. Let's ask. I just want you to ask yourself and you're just as you sit there. Just ask yourself, what am I? What do I want to know? Like, what do I want to be intimately acquainted with in my life? Is it comfort? Is it prosperity? Is it success? Is it applause? Is it security? Is it pleasure? Like where, where am I, which basket am I putting all my eggs into? Right? I'll make it personal as, as Becky and I make preparations for the mission field. I've been asking this question of myself very honestly. And I have to admit very often what I want is comfort. I want to sit on the, on the sofa and watch an action movie. Like that's fun to me. <laughs> that's the escape, you know, that, that so many, I think others of us can relate, relate, relate to, but the question is, will that achieve a satisfying result on the day of Jesus appearing? What do I want to know? I'm not saying that success in your occupation or, uh, you know, success in your education. I'm not saying those things are undesirable or those things are bad. In fact, anything, the, the God, the, the Bible also says, whatever you do, do it, do it with all your might. Whatever you put your hand to, work hard at it. Be successful. Go for it. But where, what do you want to intimately know in your life? And according to Philippians 3, he says, we can't know the power of the resurrection in our life without a willingness to pay the price of hardship. And this is hard because most of us here uh, haven't had to pay much of a price for our faith. I haven't. Uh, you know, but... It's this way in many parts of the world, and I think we'll come here as well, that there's suffering associated with following Jesus. Jesus promised that we would have difficulty, we would have hardship, we'd have trouble. So can I say with Paul, I want to participate in his sufferings. I'm willing to go through hardship to know his power. And thankfully, Paul's honest about this as well. 
He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I like this about Paul. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like he's, I'm not there yet, but that's what my desire is. And I think that's a beautiful thing to say. That's what, what I desire to pursue. He's saying for that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What did Jesus take hold of Paul for? Well, for salvation, his eternal salvation. And so we press on to take hold of the salvation that Jesus achieved for us when he went to the cross. Right. So Jesus grabbed hold of us. And now we get to grab hold of Jesus. I mean, the image that you could think about if you've ever seen, you know, one of these documentaries on you know, extreme rescues or whatever. You got the Coast Guard guy, you know, coming out of the helicopter into these crazy stormy waters and he scoops the guy out of the, out of the, out of the water. What he's hanging on to the guy, but the guy's hanging on to the rescuer, right? Or they, they rappel down a mountainside and put the guy and, you know, let's just like, hey, you maybe came to rescue me, but I am not letting go of my rescuer. I am gripping on. And I, you want to think about that kind of image when you think about Jesus rescued you. And now we just wrap our arms around Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you're not letting me go, but I'm not letting you go either because I got to get out of this mess. I'm not going back into that pit. I'm not going back to that cold water. I'm not going back over the edge of that cliff in my life. How do we do that? How do we do that? Paul tells us, he, he says in verses 13 and 14, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. Forgetting what's behind. For this I think about. You know folks that you know these wildfires. That we're dealing with in California every year. Think about the people that have, have fled. And actually managed to. Get out with their lives. Right. They are forgetting what's behind. I, I just uh, heard one of the stories about. You know when the in that paradise fire. Like the, the guy says to his, his wife. And and. I think with a wife and a grandchild. Hey, you go, you go. I'm going to stay and fight the fire. And within minutes, he's like, I got to go too. <laughs> it's too much, too fast. And that sense of forgetting what's behind, never mind what's what's on fire, right? Uh, you know, it's like, well, someone else gave it to me this way. Um, that's the house I used to live in. You can break into it, but my stuff's not there. Like I'm gone. Like I've forgotten what's behind. It's, it's, it's on fire and I'm not looking back because I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing my salvation. Jesus did that for us. So, uh, you know, I wonder what Paul could mean by this, this sense of forgetting what's behind, straining towards what, what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal. Remember that Paul He's told us elsewhere, like in his previous life, before he was a follower of Jesus, Paul was, he was a highly successful person in his world. He was, he was, you know, among the upper echelon of the religious elite. He was, he was the guy. He had status and he had privilege and he had, he literally had power over people's lives. That's Paul. And he says, I count all that as garbage. All that as rubbish. None of that counts to me anymore because I want to know Christ. That's all that matters to me now. He abandoned all of that for Christ. And so he's saying, you know, forgetting what's behind, remembering what we're striving for. And, and Paul says, for me to attain the salvation 
I got to do that. So here's my here's the next question I want to ask you. What am I forgetting and remembering? What am I forgetting and remembering? Now, depending on your age, forgetting might not that might not be that hard anymore. I know forgetting gets easier all the time, right? You can always be good at something. So uh, I'm amazed at how easy it is, though, to remember all the things we ought to release. How easy it is to remember things like past offenses, resentments, unforgiveness. You know, I, I could tell you about incidents in my grade school where there was a hurt or a wound. You don't, it's amazing how you can remember those things that kind of hang on to. And he's saying, I'm forgetting all that's behind me. So all those hard things, but, but even past success. Right. We can hold on to those things as an obstacle as well. It's like, you know, it's like the 50 year old guy who still talks about lettering in high school. It's like, dude, we get it. Uh, that was a long time ago. Let it go. Like, we don't care. Move on. I mean, it's OK to reminisce and it's it's OK to have some fun about the glory days. But but where you've been is irrelevant compared to where you're going. Where you've been is irrelevant compared to where you're going. Like, what's what's the d- direction, the trajectory of your life. So don't let your past consume your future. Don't let your past consume your future. And some of you, you got stuff that kind of keeps creeping up and you're trying to manage your past. And I would say, Paul says, I'm forgetting all that. I'm putting that behind me because I don't want my past to consume my future. What are you pressing forward into? And then why is it so important, forgiveness? Why do I always, I don't know if you've noticed, I often bring up forgiveness and unforgiveness. Why is it so important to release past offenses? It's because God in Christ forgives you and me. God has forgiven us. And, and, and so we model that same thing. God spoke to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah of a, of a time that would come. And he said it this way, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Think about this. God who knows everything, past, present, future, complete omniscient, chooses to forget your sin when you've brought it to him. He chooses to say, oh, I don't remember that. God, remember when I made this dumb mistake? He's like, no, I don't. I have chosen to forget that. Right? That's an amazing thought. Psalm 103 verse 12 says it this way. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far he is. He removed our... That's just an endless distance. East to west. That's what God does. So God forgives completely. So here's my point about unforgiveness. When we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness, when we hold on to something, we're effectively saying, God, I know you can forgive, but I'm not going to. We're saying, God, I'm better at justice than you are. I know better than you, God. That's why I'm going to hold on to this and I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hold this thing that hurt me. I'm not going to release it. And, and it's, it's effectively trying to make ourselves higher than God when we do that. And so instead, um, we want to remember what's ahead or think about what's ahead and forget what's in behind. Release it. Let it go. So what are you forgetting and what are you remembering? And then one more question. We'll go back to verse 13 again, 13 and 14, right? Forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's my question. Ignore my, ignore my faulty grammar on this one. What prize am I straining for? What prize am I straining for? I've always loved this picture. This is uh, Simon Whitfield. He was a Canadian um, 
champion triathlete. And I've always thought this so captures the essence of the finish line. There's a total victory and the tightness of the race. And, you know, after all they've been through on a triathlon, it comes down to hundreds of a second, if even that. And, and, and that's, that's what we're straining forward, we're striving forward. And some of us strain forward like that in our workplace, right? Or we're pushing for that 4.0 or better in, in school or whatever. That's great. I think we should, like I said, we do what we do with all our might. But then when it comes to our spiritual life, our walk with Jesus, why is it so easy to be content to just hang back and run with a pack? Why is that? Why do we just like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to stand out. I just want to, and Paul's saying, I want to be at the, I want to be on the tape. I want to be like my chest on the tape. That's what I want to be when I meet Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He wants to be. And I think, I think it's, we simply haven't thought enough about the prize of eternal life and everything associated with it. Because I promise you this, there is not one thing you have done for the Lord that you're going to regret when you stand before the King. There's not one thing you're going to regret that you've done for the Lord. You won't regret faithfully pursuing him, whether that was in prayer or in worship or service, helping somebody, building something, pulling weeds out of the yard. Someone came by this week and put this beautiful cross up behind me. Like there's nothing that you've done sharing the gospel, loving a neighbor, making a plate of cookies. There's nothing that you've done in the name of Christ that you will regret on judgment day. Because the Lord sees and notices and promises to reward everything. And, and what I'm about to say here is not intended as a guilt trip, even though it may sound like one. It's just really a confession on my part, right? I've never spent, you know, half an hour on social media or more and thought, boy, that was a great use of time. I've never, I've never said, man, I'm so glad, you know, I was on Instagram today, right? Not once. Nor have I read my Bible or prayed or read a good book and thought, well, that was a waste. Never thought that. Drifting is easy. Coasting along is is really a piece of cake. Which is why Paul commands himself to strain forward. Like just pressing in. Right? For the prize. I press on, he says. Why does he say that? Because it's the harder thing to do. It's carrying a load that matters. But it's the only thing that matters. Ultimately. So... I'm going to leave you with these three questions as we go to communion. Three questions before we go to communion. One, what do I want to know? I want to know Christ. That's what Paul says. I want to know Jesus. Second question, what am I forgetting? The past. Holes, hurts, and offenses, and unresolved issues, and those regrets. Even the regrets, you let that go. And what am I remembering? The prize ahead, eternal life in Christ. That's the prize I'm straining for. You know, when we, we talked about Jesus approaching Jerusalem on that donkey, and we're going to go into communion here, and I'm going to turn to Mark chap back to the same chapter I read from before, or the same book I read from, but we're going to move on to chapter 14, Mark. Jesus spends that week, I mean, amazing things happen that week. He's teaching them hard, some hardcore stuff. It's the week when he flips the tables and the in the temple and drives out the temple courts and drives out the money changers and it's accomplishing all kinds of important things right at the end in that last week. And then he gets to the, the Passover celebration that he's going to have with his disciples. 
this is where this comes in. If you haven't done one of these before, let me just remind you how you how you bust into this little cup with a little tab on the end. You just push down on that tab and a little cellophane piece pops up and there's a delicious wafer in underneath there. You can take that out. We'll use it in just a moment. Jesus is there with his 12. He knows one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to turn him over to the authorities. Even so, they're eating together. And while they're eating, it says Mark fourteen twenty two. while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he's saying, take it, this is my body. After, you know, Jesus had taught that he is the bread of life and he had taught about um, you know, we can't live on bread alone. It was just all these things and, and it, bread keeps coming back. If you've ever been in that part of the world, you know that bread is served every day, if not every meal. They understood this is essential to life. And he said, this is me. You're identifying with me and what I'm about to go through. Because it wasn't simply a whole roll or a whole loaf that he gave him, but it says he broke the bread. It was a picture of the breaking that his body was about to go through for us. And so today I invite you to take that little wafer as a representative representation of the body of Christ, of the bread of Christ. I invite you just to give it a break, give it a snap to remind you that Jesus' body was broken for us. He suffered in his body for you and for me horribly, intensely, viciously so that he could take our sin upon himself. Not so we could make some kind of bargain or some kind of deal with our sin, but so that it could be forgiven and washed away. And Jesus said, take this. This is my body. I invite you to take that wafer now. And then it goes on and says, verse 23, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. All drank from the same cup. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This cup, you know, that a covenant is an agreement, irre- irrevocable arrangement between two parties. And the covenant earlier was, keep all my laws and you will be righteous. And now the covenant, Jesus says, I've kept the laws on your behalf. I'm sinless on your behalf. And so the, the covenant agreement is by faith in Jesus, you can be made right. Not simply because you have faith. You have faith in Jesus and in what Jesus has done. So Jesus did the work on your behalf. And he says, I'll make a, I'll make a bargain with you. I'll make a contract with you. I'll make a covenant with you. If you'll take this, you can know that you're made right by your faith. And so this little cup, of juice is both a covenant seal and a promise of the feast that is to come and soon in the presence of God. Jesus is, I'm convinced of it more and more, Jesus is appearing soon. And this is the promise that he has set a table for us in his presence. And so Jesus says, take this in remembrance of me. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.